Visit a free download from Delancey Elam Church. Meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. Contact us to find out more information about us. Please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. share with you this morning and uh, in that time when you anticipate Pastor Nicole coming to be uh, with you on a different basis really than that which she has been before and uh, I'm sure you're looking forward with great interest and uh, some joy and uh, hopefulness and expectation uh, and all sorts of other emotions, maybe some trepidation because uh, we'll be looking a little bit in a few moments' time, at the story of Joshua and the children of Israel crossing the River Jordan. And there was a certain amount of trepidation there because uh, it was a new venture. And every new venture brings its challenges, doesn't it? So we pray very much for you as you take on this new uh, chapter in your life as a church here at Delancey. Um, You might not believe this, but uh, we've lived on the island now for nearly 40 years. Uh, And I've only ever once spoken here before. Uh, that was in 1986, so um, it's been a long time, and I, I haven't been sort of hankering after doing it, I haven't felt bad about it, so don't worry about that, but it's a real joy, it's a real joy to just come and share with you this morning. I might not get another opportunity when you have your pastor in full post, uh, but I'll make the most of this morning. So it's a real joy uh, to be amongst you this morning. I'll have to be a bit careful because you probably know, some of you know, that I spend quite a bit of time working in Kenya uh, with a charity that we run uh, in the, uh, the biggest slum in Africa, actually, in Kibera. You've possibly seen bits of it in the paper. Um, but usually when I go over there, they ask me to preach, and I usually say, how long have I got? And they say, well, not less than two hours, please. <laughs> We've come a long way. <laughs> but I mentioned that to Richard at the beginning. He said, I've got to be somewhere else at quarter to two. So anyway, I, um, I will keep it uh, just as the Lord leads, I think. But it won't be two hours, I promise you. I want to look, if we may, at the, uh, this, this story. It's in Joshua chapter 3. And um, I should be looking at the first 17 verses. I don't often preach from the Old Testament, but I really felt this morning, the moment Nicole asked me if I would speak this morning, several weeks ago, I knew immediately what I think God wanted me to speak about. So I hope I've got that right, and that it'll be a blessing to you, and hopefully a challenge to all of us. So Joshua chapter 3, I'm going to read the first 17 verses. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, So if that isn't quite the same as yours, um, then I'm quite sure you'll be able to follow along with me. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. 
Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, and set foot in the Jordan, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in full flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Amen. I want to look, to start with, at this little phrase, consecrate yourselves. Um, I was quite interested to see, that with, the, with the joys and the benefits of having the internet, you can find out all sorts of things about how often words appear uh, in the scriptures. And I found that the, uh, the word consecrate, or consecrated, occurs 96 times in the whole of the Bible. Nine, 96 times. 90 times of those in the Old Testament, and just six in the New. And of those six in the New Testament, five of them refer to Old Testament verses. So it's just Paul's letter to Timothy, on one occasion, where he talks about consecration. But of course there's a good reason for that. Um, the Israelites had to make sacrifice. They were under the Old Covenant. We are under the New Covenant with Jesus. So there is a difference. But nevertheless, there are certain principles that the children of Israel were asked to fulfill so that they may see God do amazing things. Do you know, I long to see God doing amazing things in my life. Do you? Do you? I, I actually have to say that since we've been working in Africa, I have seen God do amazing things. We have seen wonderful um, things happening that we didn't expect to. But we've also had frustrations, which I'll talk a little bit about in a few moments. One wonderful thing which gave me huge, huge confidence, not in myself, but in the fact that 
this is God's work, is that we had been looking to buy a farm or some land in Kenya so that we could feed a little school we work with in the Kibera slum. And we bought this piece of land and, you know, we were under some trepidation because there was no water there. And uh, all the neighbours got boreholes, so we thought, no problem, we'll drill a borehole and we'll find water. Do you know we've drilled two boreholes and have only found wet clay? Um, But that's not a problem. It was quite an expensive um, investigation, but we didn't find any water. We have, however, got a dried up riverbed through the the farm and at this very moment uh, we are investigating the possibility of building a dam and we've been told we can collect 10,000 cubic metres of water which will be more than enough to irrigate the land and give water to all the people round about. So we're really looking forward to that happening. But some ladies at Shiloh were praying um, about that time a couple of years ago They were praying that we would find the right piece of land. And um, one of the ladies in the group said that she felt the Lord was saying that this piece of land would be one large field with a tree, a single tree, right in the middle of it. Now, if you know Kenya, it's either green and lush with lots of trees or it's very barren. Our area is in the barren area because land is only a quarter of the price. We still felt it was right to buy that piece of land. When we got out there and uh, had a look at the land and I came back and I told Marion about it, I said, look, this piece of land we're wanting to buy is absolutely brilliant. It's just the right distance away. It's 20 miles from Nairobi. Uh, We can get at it reasonably well. Um, We can buy this piece of land at a reasonable price and uh, all should be well. I said, you won't believe it. And I'd forgotten this lady's word. You won't believe that I said, but it's a huge, great piece of land. It's 11 acres, just one big field, really. And it's got a single tree in the middle. And, and Marion said to me, wow. I said, what do you mean, wow? She said, don't you remember? I said, don't I remember what? She said, don't you remember that picture that that lady had in that meeting? I said, I, did, I had forgotten. My apologies. What wonderful confirmation. That to me is an amazing thing. So we know that even though at the moment we haven't got water, we have got the right place. We prayed much about it. So we long that the Lord will do amazing things. But when the children of Israel had to cross Jordan, they had to do certain things. First of all, they had to consecrate themselves. They had to consecrate themselves to God. Now bear in mind that they've been They'd been wandering around, really, although they were only in the wilderness for 40 years. They had been uh, looking forward to this time ever since they came out of Egypt, hundreds of years before. They'd been looking forward to a time when they would enter into the Promised Land. Now, here they were at this river, and they were just about to cross it to enter into the Promised Land. Without Moses, because Moses, as you know, was not able to go. Um, for his own uh, disobedience earlier on and Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land but they had this challenge to cross this river and first of all they had to consecrate themselves now I looked in the dictionary to find out what well I looked online actually don't look in books anymore do we and looked out to find out what sort of definitions we've got of consecration and it only came up really with two and most of the time it refers to bishops and consecrating people 
other people consecrating people for a job, or consecrating a piece of land, or consecrating a building. But just occasionally, it says, it means to devote exclusively something for a particular purpose. Well, that's a bit general. But that, I think, is what was meant here. Consecrate yourself, devote yourself, because you've been disobedient, you need to put those things behind you, and you need to be single-minded about what you're doing. And I believe, you know, if only we were single-minded, and put everything else aside, God would be able to do amazing things with us and through us. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 said, let us throw off everything that hinders. And I better put my glasses on. I have to wear these things. I've reached that magic age of three score years and ten and now I've got to wear these things to read. Right, let's start again. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I understand that in those days when they were doing their equivalent of the Olympic Games, throwing off everything that hinders actually meant taking all their clothes off, because any clothes will stop you running properly. So whether the writer of the Hebrews had that picture in his mind or not, I don't know, but basically we understand what he was saying. Take everything away that hinders us from being consecrated to God's work. Now, as I'm speaking, maybe you're thinking, I've got this in my life, I've got this in my mind, this probably is hindering me, and uh, maybe it's something we need to deal with. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Isaac Rankin. He was a, a, a vicar at a Baptist church in New Orleans. Uh, he only died a few months ago, actually. He lived a long life. He'd got about 15 children, and goodness knows how many grandchildren, lots of great-grandchildren, all of whom went into the ministry, which is wonderful. If you look at his story on the, on the internet, it's quite an amazing story. But he tells this story. It's not my story. He said, just out of reach from my window stretches a wire which carries a heavy current of electricity. It's insulated at every pole that supports it, and it is carried well out of common reach. If I could lean far enough out to touch it, death would be swifter than a tiger's leap or a serpent's sting, as swift as a lightning strike. Yet the doves that come to my window to get food perch on it and take no harm. They fly from my windowsill where I feed them, and they preen themselves and rest upon the wires, and then they fly off again to search for food or nesting. The secret is that when they touch the full-powered wire, they touch nothing else. They give themselves wholly to it. My danger would be that while I touch the wire, I would also be touching the earth through the walls of my house, and the current would use my body as a channel to earth. But they rest wholly on the wire and experience neither dread nor danger. They are one with it, and they are safe. I believe that God would speak to us, to me, to all of us this morning, that we really do need to throw off everything that hinders and give ourselves wholly to him if we too want to see amazing things happen. This event is linked to the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. I will read these couple of verses if I may. In Genesis chapter 17 it says this, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and me, and you will, and will greatly increase your numbers. 
Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from, from uh, you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be called their God. Now that word covenant... The word that we use today comes from a Latin word, which is, I don't speak Latin by the way, which is convenir, which means a coming together. It's perhaps not surprising. And it presupposes that two or more parties will come together to make a contract agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges and responsibilities. And it's implied that it will be binding. That was the covenant that God made with Abraham and said, this is what I will give you if you will be dedicated and devoted and consecrated to me. That was always that condition. And I believe that's true today, that unless we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God and to to his calling, then he cannot use us in the way that he wants to. And I'm quite sure that when Joshua spoke to the children of Israel, uh, before they crossed that river, he would have said something like this, we're under the covenant that God made with Abraham, that Israel will multiply, be fruitful and kingmakers, will dwell in the promised land, and by the way, God will be our God. And he would say to them, put away all rubbish that's accumulated around you, a disobedient past. Let's tell God we mean business. Let's reiterate our desire to walk with him, to obey with him, to accept he only desires good for us. But let's not forget the condition to walk faithfully before God and be blameless. We're not blameless in our own strength, of course. That can only be through the blood of Christ. So before Israel could cross the river, the people had to consecrate themselves so that God tomorrow could do amazing things. I like the immediacy of that. Not one day, not if you keep being good, and I'll test you for the next 25 years or the next century, then if you're really, really good and you get ticks in all the boxes, then I'll do something amazing amongst you. He doesn't say that. He says, do that now, consecrate yourselves to me, and I will do amazing things tomorrow. And of course, he did. I used to go to um, India uh, a bit, um, some years ago, um, with another charity I was working with, and I used to go to a Bible college in Bangalore. And um, this, this Bible college is a wonderful place. It's beautifully done and the students are absolutely amazing. But as you go through the gate, you are confronted with this huge, great rock. And on the rock, at the front of it, it has those words from, from Psalm 118. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. In other words, this is God's work. And on the other side, there is Hudson Taylor's famous quote, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And the students were always reminded as they went into the campus that if they do things God's way, God will do amazing things. And we've seen some amazing things happen there, but I won't digress as we go into that. The psalmist also said in Psalm 77, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power amongst the peoples. 
In the New Testament, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and reminded them to be separate from the world. Not to be out of it, because we are in the world and we have a job to do in the world. But to separate ourselves from the pull of the world and those things which are secular and not pointing to God. So Paul says, come out from amongst them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And then in Romans 12... Uh, Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul starts with the mind. Be transformed, it's the mind first. This is where all the bad stuff starts, isn't it? Those thoughts that we shouldn't have, those desires, those attitudes, all starts here, doesn't it? It all starts here. And Paul's very, very conscious of that fact. The renewing of of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Scripture is full of reminders to us to be consecrated and devoted to the ways that God would have us go. Now I want to come to this story, if I may. Um, I don't usually have uh, three titles or four titles, or they all begin with this, but this morning I'm going to, uh, because I think it kind of works. Um, and I've got three Ps this morning, okay? Three Ps, just to help perhaps to remember things. But before we get into that, I just want you to try and imagine, if you will, the situations before the, the children of Israel cross this river. Do you know, I, I really would encourage you to read this story again and again and really read what it's saying and the deeper things that so easily we read and don't actually spot. You know, that's the wonderful thing about Scripture, isn't it? We can read it and we get something new out of it every time. But every time I read this story, I find something new, something valuable, something precious that speaks to us still today. So I'd encourage you to do that if you've got the time. So they move off from their camp and they had about six miles to go and you can just imagine them trundling across the desert to the river and thinking, what's going on here? We've got to cross this river. And by the way, do you know, and, you know and, and all the words would be going amongst all the people. They wouldn't have been just with a banner up saying, we're going, we're going to get it. There would have been some trepidation without a shadow of doubt. But they had consecrated themselves. They said, Lord, we put consciously behind us all the sins of the past we consciously say to you God we are truly sorry we are sorry for our disobedience we are sorry that we've been idolatrous we are sorry that we have gone our own way from now on we're going your way and they all said that and by the way as we'll see in a moment there's quite a few of them and so they made that commitment to God And it may be that some of us here this morning are facing days ahead with trepidation. I'm quite sure you're not with your new minister. I'm sure that's just full of joy. But you may have things in your lives, I've had things in my life, that you actually face with some trepidation. I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure how I can get through this. And God's saying to us today, if you will dedicate your life entirely to me, in spite of those huge hurdles, those things that you cannot imagine how you can cross, I, tomorrow, it may not literally be tomorrow, will do amazing things 
in your life? Wouldn't it be great if the whole church saw amazing things happening in their individual lives? And the church would be vitalised, wouldn't it, as a whole, as a body, when people would come up here and testify, God's done an amazing thing, I didn't... I have the faintest idea how I was going to get through this. But God showed me the way. God brought me through. And we'll be able to testify to that. Life is like that. Life is like that. I have faced many disappointments in my life. But many joys. But in every disappointment, when I've gone to God and left it with him, dedicated myself to him again, because I keep seeming to have to do that, he takes me through and does amazing things. So let's have a look at this, this story. Um, first of all, my first P is they had to be prepared. They had to be prepared. And there was two things I'd like to look at here. Firstly, the ark was very important in this, uh, this particular story. Um, the ark is actually mentioned here in this chapter uh, nine times, and the following chapter is mentioned seven times. It's a very important thing. Why? Well, the ark represented... God and God's leadership, as you know, in the Old Testament, that was their, their focus. God was in the ark. If the ark is put in its rightful place and we worship God, we have a focus uh, in which we should put our minds. And so they recognised the importance of the ark. And Joshua is saying here, and God said to Joshua, make sure the people keep a respectful distance from the ark and follow the priests through the water. It is God who will do, go before you. You cannot do this in your own strength. Paul came to the same conclusion when contemplating the challenges of his ministry in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, who's adequate for these things? Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Do you know, if I come here and I preach a sermon that really went well last week and I do it again... I'll fall flat on my face. Because I have to be, we all have to be, in that position of freshness with God's calling. Don't assume that we have strength in the past that will benefit us tomorrow. They may do. God gives us gifts for that very purpose. But don't assume because God worked in this way this week, he's going to work in this way next week. It may be different. It may be the same. But the only way we'll know is by being prepared and being completely committed to God. And of course the second part of that preparation was the fact that they consecrated themselves. It's not a military term. Our generals in preparation might say, prepare your ammunition, make sure your kit is working properly and your boots are polished. He might say that, mightn't he? But Joshua said, consecrate yourselves. I cannot do it for you. Joshua couldn't consecrate the people. They had to do it themselves. And they had that power to do so in, in, in God. And so that spiritual preparation was so Important. Interestingly, the Hebrew word that's usually used in the Bible for consecration, I don't speak Hebrew either, by the way, I just have to rely on the knowledge of others, as most preachers do, I think, unless they're properly trained. Um, in Hebrew, the word usually is a word called quadash, which means to be hallowed, or to be set apart, or to be dedicated. That's fine. But the word used here is hithpeel. If any of you are Hebrew scholars, and I've pronounced that incorrectly, don't come and tell me afterwards. Just tell your friends that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's actually a reflexive verb. Do you remember reflexive verbs in French? Yeah, no, some of you do. I, it was the ones that had certain in front of them, wasn't it, I think. And so you, 
you had to um, you had to learn all these different verbs in, in French, didn't you? And the reflexive verbs, I never really understood until somebody said to me, they're actually the ones that mean that you do this. So it isn't just be such and such, be cleansed. It is a case of you. So there's an emphasis on you doing it. So the word actually used here, uh, which I've forgotten what it was, hithpeel, is a reflexive uh, phrase which says, you set yourselves apart. You set yourselves apart. You prepare yourselves. Hey, why can't God do that for me? Well, very often in Scripture we find that God does do amazing things for people, obviously. But the, but the onus comes on us to do this, and it came on them. I just realised I was writing that down. I only wrote that last bit about the onus being on us. I realised that the onus actually is on us. It's the same two words. And I never realised that before. Perhaps that's where it came from. The onus is on us. It is up to us to say, God, I commit myself to you. I will stand firm against the enemy. And as Paul says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. That's how we do it. It's not our strength, but it is our willingness to be strengthened through the armour of God. And we put on the armour. When Mario and I pray, as we do every morning and every evening, we've got quite a long list of people to pray for. Sometimes it means I'm a bit late for church, but there we go. We, 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 pray, for, we pray for people, but we also uh, ask God to give us, to put on that armour, or we consciously put on that armour ourselves. Do any of you do that? Yeah, quite a few. Oh, interesting. Quite a few nodding heads. That's interesting. We pray, Lord, I put on the armour. You have given it to me. It's heavenly armour. It protects every part of me so that I can stand firm against the devil. I'm not a helpless pawn. I might be in some things, but I'm not a helpless pawn in that. I can stand firm. And when the devil tempts, I can say no. I can say no. The world says, as with Oscar Wilde, I can resist everything except... Anybody know the saying? Temptation, yeah. Oscar Wilde, I can resist everything except temptation. We can stand firm. By the grace of God, we have that armour that, uh, that we can put on. So that's the first thing. They had to prepare themselves for the work that was ahead. And, ahead. and do you know, I believe that we as individuals need to prepare consciously. If we're not where we think God wants us to be at the moment, we need to say, Lord... I want to be prepared, I want to prepare myself for what you are going to do tomorrow. I'm not at the right point at the moment, but I want to be there. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to stand firm against the enemy and his fiery darts. The second thing is promise, that's the second P. The promise to Joshua, first of all, obey my command. Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel. Crossing the Jordan and dispossessing the enemy was the work of God, and that's true of our salvation. The enemy is dispossessed when we cross that line that separated us from God. It's not a work of righteousness that merits God's favour, but it's the removal of barriers so that God can work uh, in us and give us the courage to put our feet in the water. I don't mind putting my feet in the water over the, wall, over the way there. Uh, that's probably as far as I'll go in the sea these days, um, unless it's nice and warm. But I put my feet in the water quite happily. But when it comes to spiritual issues, putting your feet in the water sometimes is a bit daunting, isn't it? You know, uh, nobody else is going to do this. Maybe the Lord's calling me to do that. Uh, I'm a bit afraid, putting our feet in the water. But he has promised that he will give that strength. And then he promised the, the people um, that, that, um, that if, you, if you 
put your trust in me by this miracle, you will know that the living God is amongst you and he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanites, the Hivites and all the rest of the ites. And so they would see what God was doing. It gives you strength. That tree in the middle of that field gave me an enormous uh, boost of courage and strength and knowledge that God was in this. That's one of many things. And God will do that, but we first of all have to step out. Stepping out is not easy, but we have to do it. There's an awful lot of people I come across say, oh, it's not for me, I can't do that. No, you can't. But with God's power and God's strength, you can and you will. And then the third P is the actual passage itself, the getting up and going. They had to gird their loins. They had to say, right, time to go, chaps. You know, it's like when you're going off on a big hike. You think to yourself, right, time to do this. And um, we have to psych ourselves up a bit, don't we? Right, ready, steady, let's go. This was a big thing, make no mistake about it. I did some research. I know it's a bit sad. I'm a pedant. I like to find out all the details. I like to see how things work. I like to know how things have unfolded. And so I did quite a bit of research looking on the internet to find out about the River Jordan in flood. Now, the River Jordan today isn't the River Jordan of those days because it's much smaller, because many nations draw water from it and it has become a much smaller river. But archaeologists tell us how big the river was at that time and uh, they talk about it being in flood when the, waters, when, the, when the snow melts on Mount Hermon and it runs down and it fills the river. And this is a mighty, mighty river, uh, or it was for them. They came to the water's edge, it was in flood. The time of the harvest is the time the Jordan overflowed its banks and the warmer weather would melt the snows and, and so it became uh, rather a daunting task. I'm quite sure they had some anxieties, even though they said, Lord, yeah, we, we trust you, we trust you, we trust our leader. They had anxieties. Now, this next bit I think is really interesting. You might not think it, but just bear with me. Um, and... Uh, Perhaps one day, maybe you will find this particularly interesting for yourselves. A few months before crossing the Jordan, if you read the book of Numbers, we don't read the book of Numbers very often, but it's a really good book to read. It's full of numbers. It's surprising that, isn't it, really? But it's full of numbers. And some of them are very interesting. So I looked it up to find out how many people there were with the children of Israel. I hadn't got a clue, really. I knew it was quite a lot. But it actually lists them all there. Before, before Moses died, they listed them before they uh, got to the edge of the Jordan. In Numbers 26, it says the Jewish adult males numbered 601,730. Quite accurate. So if you want to include the wives, there would have been wives as well. I presume they mostly had a wife. Let's say that doubles to 1.203406 million people. And since we don't know how many children there were, let's make an assumption that maybe they had two, three, four, five children. But there would have been at least two million people. At least two million people. That is a lot of people. I don't know how big two million is. I can only just understand a thousand. So two million is a lot of people. And um, two million people. And more, if you count the Levites, there's 23,000 of them. And they all had to cross the river. But it was in flood. It was big. It was wide. How on earth are we going to get across this river? Now we know it stopped, but assuming they walked 20 abreast, 
It probably would have been more than that, actually. I don't suppose it was a mad rush. It would have been quite ordered. If they moved 20 abreast, and they had a metre between each row, that would be a column. How long? Any ideas? 62 miles. That's how many people had to cross a 62-mile column. If there were 200 people wide, if there was 200 wide and they were going across, it would have taken them two hours to cross. If, if, they'd, gone ten, if they'd gone 20 uh, abreast, it would have taken them, um, I don't know, uh, over 20 hours to cross. But even if they went 200, it would still take them two hours to get across. That's quite a big number of people to get on the Condor Ferry, isn't it? And get them safely across to the other side. It's quite a big number. This was the scale of the problem. We read in chapter 3 and verse 16 that the waters piled up in a heap at a town called Adam. It's generally believed that Adam today is a town called Teled Damiyeh which is about 16 miles upstream from where the Israelites were crossing the Jordan. Now, this is the sad bit. The water apparently, when it was in flood, moved about three metres a second. That's quite fast really, isn't it? Three metres a second. If the blockage further upstream that God had ordained, whatever it was, if that stopped the water... He would have actually had to stop the water two hours before they crossed. I hope you'll keep with me on this, because you can just begin to imagine it, can't you? The moment the priest puts his foot in the water, the water will stop. God had already stopped that water two hours earlier, so that when he put his foot in the water, the priest, the priest put the foot in the water, that water would stop at that moment. Because it says at that moment, God had already stopped it. That's amazing. The timing, God's timing was absolutely perfect. No wonder Joshua said that God would be magnified and would be exalted. What's even more incredible is that it says the moment the priests stepped out of the water, the water would flow again. You see where I'm going? God had let that water go two hours earlier. It was on its way. It was on its way. Marion and I went to Jersey a couple of years ago. We don't go too often. Um, we went to Jersey and we stayed out. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the place was now. We stayed out, stayed out. But we went for a walk on the beach and went out to, to a fortification because I was interested in fortifications and went out there. And on the way back, we saw this man waving a flag. Yeah, chap's happy he's waving a flag. But actually he was saying, get off there quick and come back over here. And we came back and walked leisurely across only to see the sea coming in behind us at such a rate that we actually had to run. We actually had to run to keep ahead of the water. This water was on its way. Had they dilly-dallied, had they said, oh Lord, I'm not ready for this yet. Do something in my life now, but do the big thing later on when it's convenient for me. Had they dilly-dallied, they would have been washed away. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. They went across. There's much more to the story we haven't got time to go into today. But in this, God was magnified. Joshua was exalted. I guess he was a hero. You were right. God did speak to you. And the people were energised and motivated. We also read that the Canaanites were terrorised. I love that bit. 
They were terrorized because they saw the mighty power of God as they did later on in Jericho and Ai and various other events. People were terrorized because they saw the mighty power of God. Do we want, we don't want people to be terrorized, but do we want them to be amazed at God's power? We need to be consecrated to him for that to happen. For us, crossing the Jordan means having greater expectations of what God can do with an obedient servant. It should mean the end of a life lived by human effort and the beginning of life of faith and obedience. And even if we've been Christians for many years, we may still be holding back, maybe in fear of what God might do. A few weeks ago, we took our family on holiday to Florida. Um, There's quite a few of us because we've got three sons and daughters-in-law and grandchildren. And uh, we went and stayed in a house right on the side of a lake. Uh, I can't remember why we went to Florida. Oh, something to do with Disney. That's right. Wonderful place. Wonderful, wonderful. I could live there. My my grandson, Morgan, who's uh, 11 years old, said he wants to go there and open a pizza shop. Um, But anyway, we stayed with this big lake just at the back of our house. And over the far side of the lake, which was... About as big as Guernsey, I suppose. No, it wasn't really. It was probably a few hundred metres each way. Over the far side, we could see there were lots of kayaks um, lined up on a, on a pontoon. And we wondered why they were there, because nobody was using them. And occasionally we'd go for a walk around the lake. And one day I said to Marion, I'm going to go and find out why, over these last two weeks, nobody's gone out in these kayaks. I want to go out in a kayak on this lake. And I wandered around there. I wish I'd got a picture here. I've got a picture, actually. It's on my phone, but you'll be able to see it. Right by the pontoon was a big sign. Well, actually, it was a little sign. It says, beware, alligators and snakes. So nobody was prepared to go out <laughs> in the, in the uh, kayaks, just in case. And you know, sometimes I think we're afraid of those alligators and snakes when God says, step out, consecrate yourself. I will be with you. I will terrorize the enemy. You just step out. You just go. You just do it, and I will be with you. I will give you all the strength you need to fulfill uh, what I want you uh, to do for me. And I finish on this. I read a story just yesterday, actually, because I was looking at a little illustration to finish with. A lady in America, it's always in America, but a lady in America in the 19th century um, uh, wanted to know what the word consecration meant. She was serious about consecrating her life to God. She wanted to know what it meant, so she went to a Christian teacher that she trusted and said, what do you understand about the word consecration? And the teacher thought for a moment and said, it's like taking a blank piece of paper, signing your name on the bottom, and then saying to God, you fill in the rest. I thought that was quite a simple but meaningful thing to do. And we haven't really got a lot of time left this morning, but I just want to encourage you, perhaps, maybe even, I'll leave some paper out here actually. If you want to just at the end, just come and sign your name on it. I'm not going to make a big thing of it. Just want to sign your name, take that piece of paper away as a symbol that you are saying to God, This is me saying, it's okay. I want to consecrate my life to you from now on. If you're a Christian, maybe a backslidden Christian, maybe maybe you have known the Lord and your heart's grown a bit cold, 
Or maybe you've been a Christian on fire. And God's saying to you, I want to use you, but you first of all got to come. No strings. Cast everything off. Don't take your clothes off, by the way. But cast off everything that hinders. And run the race for me. I can only use you if you take that attitude and are willing to do that for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing story of the children of Israel crossing that river. We do just bless you, Lord. We pray, Father, that you will use us in a way that perhaps defies our own expectation, that you can do something with us that we couldn't possibly have dreamed possible. And yet, Lord, you want to use us to bring glory to your name, to terrorize the enemy, to bring defeat to the enemy, that we might be victorious. Thank you, Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. Otherwise, as Paul said, we might boast. We don't. We can't. We only do it in yours. And so, Father, we pray that you touch our hearts today and encourage us, each one of us, to commit ourselves fully to you, that we might walk with you and that you tomorrow will do amazing things. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Ealing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.